0: Welcome to Becoming Legendary, a podcast where some of the raddest people from all around the planet share their story. This week, we're talking to a man whose legend is so large, he only needs one name, Rama. Rama is absolutely world-renowned for his handstands and his handstand workshops. His Instagram has roughly 80,000 followers, and every single post he creates is something that is visually stunning. The things that he is capable of doing uh, with his body in an inverted position are often jaw-dropping, and I strongly encourage you check out his Instagram to see what the human body is capable of. He teaches all over the world and lives out of a backpack. Without further ado, let's get to becoming legendary with Rama. Maximize every opportunity so that you can become legendary. legendary. What adjustments can you make right now to make yourself 1% better? Your only goal is to be the best version of you. Rama, thank you so much for coming on Becoming Legendary.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it, Patrick. Thank you so much for having me.
0: I like to start off by just asking what your typical day is like.
1: Yeah. So with the fact that I'm traveling almost nonstop to teach, uh, that that varies quite a lot. However, there are certainly things within my day that uh, do not vary. Certain things that I need to have yeah. consistently yeah. as part of my program. So those things would be uh, primarily morning practices. Yeah. Uh, I came from a, a traditional lineage of hatha yoga. So a lot of my practice is seated meditation, pranayama, as well as some type of Uh, we can say chanting in the morning. So yeah, usually after I'm waking up, there's some hygiene taking place and then seated practices that can go from uh, 30 minutes to about 60 minutes, depending on how rushed I might find myself in that day. And then, I mean, pretty much that's the only thing that's consistent about my days.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The important part. Yeah. Yeah. This is
1: for me the one thing that keeps me uh, feeling very vital and uh, it allows the the quality of my offerings to continually be, you know, a little bit elevated.
0: Yeah. What, what time, what time do you typically start? Yeah. So
1: usually it's around six o'clock or so. Like I don't wake insanely early. Um, if I'm living in the ashram, which is where I spend a fair amount of my time, uh, then it's, it's a lot earlier than that. But it, when I'm living in the ashram, my days are all about just, uh, personal practices and finding ways through progress.
0: Yeah, I want to I want to get to your time at the ashram but but I think it would be I think we owe the audience the kind of story of how you found yoga so f- correct me if I'm wrong but your path really started by uh, having your foot crushed by hundred and seventy five pounds of of barbell um, and when that happened you had this the the prognosis the, prognos, the prognosis on on your your eventual health capacity was really bad right
1: yeah it was quite limited so essentially as told by some doctors and I'd had two separate opinions because I didn't like either one of them (laughs) um, that I would never be able to run again and at the time I was studying health wellness and fitness and university and basically my whole life it was being formed around having an ability to demonstrate functional movement patterns for people something like a personal trainer and so in a, a split second, I managed to kind of shatter those dreams. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I mean, you kind of have to erase whatever you thought you once were in order to become something different. So that was the erasing part of my story. That was where I was crushed, as you said.
0: So I, I also think um, from from your self-description, your, um, your previous self was somewhat stubborn. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like some of us need uh, more violent deliveries of the message to, to find yoga. Uh, would you agree with that statement?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we don't even need to get into yoga. For most people, there's something that they want to do or want to try as a way of bettering themselves. And usually more often than not, the way to find that change is a very uncomfortable process, a yeah. difficult process. So yeah, it takes a certain catalyst to be able to, to think of that change as something that's actually attainable or desirable, you know? Yeah. So for me, to be honest, I probably wouldn't have made that change on my own. Yeah. You know, it was very difficult to get out of the, uh, the patterns that I was constantly forming. But because of this accident, I essentially no longer had a choice. I found myself forced out of where I was going yeah, and redirected.
0: Yeah, redirected down a completely new yogic path. And the, the, healing, the healing component of, of yoga for you, f- specifically with the foot injury, there was, there was a lot of restorative yoga and there was, there was also a lot of, of seated meditation, true?
1: Correct, yeah. Uh, in seated practice, it was primarily visualization techniques okay. as well as just finding ways to uh, not necessarily control but understand and know how to work with the mind
0: yeah the the impact that you felt how how quickly do you think you really you understood hey this is a new path and something that i'm really interested in following
1: yeah it's a good question i mean things seem to have happened very very quickly and at the same time over a long period of time yeah so i mean the change it was never necessarily something that i wanted to be honest i mean i, I did want it on some level of course but it was, uh, it was something that just kind of happened. I've always said that there's a guiding force, not only in my life, but in the lives of, of every single person. And sometimes that guiding force, it's just a little bit of a whisper. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes it shouts and it yells. And so for me, all of that kind of change was very, very, I resisted it almost nonstop. But thankfully, the, the yelling was very,
0: very forceful as <laughs> well. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes you can't avoid yelling. Yeah. yeah. So so we get to the point where, where you start to see um, you start to see that this, this yogic practice is having an impact in your personal life, right. And from that point, the, your, your exposure to this tool sparks an inspiration in you to, to share the teachings that, that you've experienced or the experiences that you've experienced. And you, you head off to become a yoga teacher. So tell me, about, tell me about that teacher training.
1: Exactly. So that's really where it all started. Um, after I did my studies in health, wellness, and fitness, I didn't even stay to receive my certificate or go to the ceremony or any of that, that stuff. I just flew to the Bahamas almost immediately, which is where this ashram is that I've been spending a lot of my time, so Shivananda Ashram in the Bahamas. And that space, essentially, it again was a very difficult space for me to be in. I got there, and within about a week and a half or so, I decided that this, this was not right for me, you know? I went from being here in Hamilton, where I grew up, Hamilton, Ontario, and kind of you know, reading lots of these books and stuff, and in a way, I started to fancy myself a very high-thinking individual, yeah, per se, but then I get to this space where everyone is there purely for personal growth. There's no fluff. There's no anything that, you know, we have on the outside. And they uh, they truly put me in my place, <laughs> so I felt just so to my league. I felt incredibly humbled, and yeah, I wanted to leave very very early on, but for whatever reason, I decided that I had to stay and I had to see this through to completion. So the teacher training at Shivananda is 28 days, and yeah, I wanted to leave almost all of those 28 days, but I stuck around, <laughs> and at the end of it, I, I certainly felt. Uh, different kind of more calm in a way that i hadn't experienced in the past yeah and uh, all of the information that comes with this training uh, this shivananda teacher training it's uh, coming from a very traditional source this is information that you would have had access to over the span of 12 years in the traditional system Hmm. and they pack it into those 28 days so for me i just felt this overload of new information new practices that i could try to implement And I decided that needed the time. So the one month turned into uh, six months, turned into a year staying in this ashram just to kind of fine tune the things that i would learned, the things that I've heard talked about. And kind of that's where I started to come into who I am now. Yes. Essentially, that's where I became Rama.
0: And that's where you that's where you received the name Rama. Yes. Correct. So give me that story. How, How did that how did that come about?
1: Yeah. so in uh, traditional yoga lineages as the one that I belong to you when you're born, let's take a step back when you were born, your parents gave you the name Patrick, and that name it has a certain energy associated with it it has a certain substance associated with it and essentially it's it's here for your worldly existence that's what it is uh, a spiritual name is something that you can receive in certain circles and it's essentially a new birth, a rebirth into a life in which you're um more completely committed to uh, spiritual growth, mm. spiritual evolution, so the name Rama for me, that's what the name that my teacher, Swami Swarupananda, gave once I completed this teacher training process.
0: And the completion of the teacher pro- the teacher training process leads into it to a year at the ashram. What was that year like? what What were you doing on a daily basis during that year?
1: Yeah, so that year was much, much more involved. Um, That year was four o'clock wake-ups, an hour of pranayama and meditation and asana practice, then teaching, then brunch. The entire day was completely filled with either some form of personal practice or for the majority of the time with karma yoga, which is essentially selfless service, learning to live not for oneself, but for those around us. So this was pretty much every day looked the same while I was staying in the ashram.
0: Yeah, really, really structured. And and that time frame uh, or that that time in those in those highly energy charged places. Right. I feel like there's the there's an ability to condense time and and compress the teachings that we can't really experience in in a normal in a normal life stage. Would you agree with that?
1: absolutely i mean if i was just living in toronto for example you've got to think about uh, rents you've got food you've got so many errands to run that are not necessarily associated with your improvement they're just with your survival yeah basically but in a place like an ashram as i said all of that fluff i would refer to it as fluff at this point in my life it's just it's cut through there's nothing that you have to deal with that is not directly related to your own personal improvement
0: (sighs) So a year of working on your own personal improvement. Yeah, yeah. What aspects of you changed most significantly?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So for me, going into it, almost all of my life, I've been a rather fiery individual. Um, I very much enjoyed social situations as well. And after, after leaving the ashram, I've been there on a number of, of occasions up until now, um, essentially that fire it's no longer the same kind of fire it's a fire that's more it's more like a laser you can say it still has the capacity to burn but it's no longer quite so spread out it's not just you know ravaging everything around as it once used to <laughs> now i can direct it as a specific task or a specific area of my life and use it to work through whatever needs to be worked through so, I, I, yeah, for the most part, it just allowed me to focus in a capacity that I would not experienced before.
0: One of the things that I saw um, you describe that experience was that it felt like you were home for the first time. Yeah, yeah. What? Give, give me that, especially now that I've heard that the first 28 days you felt like you wanted to leave every day. Well,
1: so let's say now, I've
0: been in the ashram a total
1: for about two years, on and off kind of thing. And uh, I will say this, that every month I want to leave. <laughs> okay. Every month I feel that, okay, you've been here two years, this is long enough. It's time to go and leave and teach. Uh, so there's, essentially, it's you just get a taste. If you stay there for a short amount of time, usually people enjoy themselves. There's a beach, it's very nice. But the longer you stay, the deeper you are able to go into yourself. Yeah. And essentially, in that space, that protected space, we get to come in contact, experience more completely, our own personal demons, Yeah, the sides of ourselves that we need to work through in order to find fulfillment and a meaningful existence. And so, I mean, of course, there's a ton that are still there. I'm not going to try and <laughs> say anything to counter that, but... I got to work through many, 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 many hurdles over the course of this time. So what i like to say is that the ashram is almost never an enjoyable place to stay if you are staying there as a serious practitioner, but it's always beneficial, always beneficial.
0: (laughs) There's, There's this concept that we talk about a lot, which is becoming, becoming comfortable with being uncomfortable is where, where we start to grow. Absolutely. So pushing, pushing towards, pushing towards discomfort uh, allows you to allows you to just these, these brand new opportunities. If we're always running towards comfort, we miss out on, on everything that, that there is to offer. Of course.
1: And yeah, I mean, for me personally, I realized this early on even before the ashram where we really only learn in challenging situations and, not necessarily for that reason, but it would seem that in my life I tried to avoid comfort as much as possible. And this is a theme that reoccurs in my life, where I tend to stray too far to one extreme. Mm-hmm. So the, the real way forward is that there's a tremendous amount that can come from challenge, also a tremendous amount that comes from comfort. Yeah. It's in those challenging situations that we learn and we develop and in those more comfortable ones that we can actually reinforce and implement and solidify ourselves as individuals, as, as whatever we might need to. So it's somewhere in between,
0: eh? challenge and comfort. I, I have this saying that connects with some people and some people don't understand it, uh, that extremes are really easy. Because yeah making making hard decisions a a yes or a no right i'm going to always do this or i'm going to never do this that's just a matter of of discipline and if if you have any level of discipline you can decide a or b it's it's the balance and the moderation the the blend that's more or less magic is is the hard thing and that's what we're all really striving for mm.
1: this is so true and it, it's something that comes across in nearly every spiritual tradition but as much as you hear balance is key, it really means nothing to you until you can experience until yeah. you taste those two extremes and you kind of you mm-hmm. get that, that acquired taste.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what does what does yoga? Yo, just the word yoga, let's say, mean to you.
1: Yeah, so literal translation is union. union. The literal meaning of yoga is union. Which what it means is the union of one's lower self to one's higher self, essentially so it's finding a way to work through any kind of limitations any kind of issues that one might experience in their own life and come out into a space that's you know this is not achievable but something more resemblant of perfection that's what you aim for is the idea so for me yoga is simply a tool it's to help us get what we want out of our life
0: and it's a (laughs) it's a it's a it's an amazingly powerful tool, um, and and one of the things that I one of the things that I really like about the concept of yoga as a tool is is tools work for everyone, mm. right? So a shovel is a shovel for everyone and some people may be better at using a shovel than other people so if you've never seen a shovel before it, it might not be you might not be the most skilled digger on the planet but a shovel is a shovel for everyone and i think that's why i love the concept of yoga as a tool because it works for everyone it's just how how we use it and how we approach it is different for everyone
1: yeah it's absolutely true and i suppose that the, it, we would do well just to clarify this actual term yoga and what it encompasses. So. For a lot of people, yoga is a physical thing. Movement, yeah. It's just stretching and you know whatever little pretty postures you might be doing at the time. Yeah. Uh, But in a more traditional sense, yoga is five things. Yoga is proper exercise, proper diet, proper breathing, proper relaxation, and meditation. And you can think that in a more holistic sense, those first four are designed to get you to that last one. This is the, the real way that yoga is used. It's not just this physical thing.
0: Now, what, what, do you, what do you say you're
1: most known for? Yeah, so, I mean, at this point in my life, I'm certainly known for inversions. Right. Or the way that I teach inversions, especially if anybody follows me on social media, that's the majority of what you will see. Uh, I would like to think that if you do follow me on social media, you also tend towards the captions written beneath all the pretty photos, because (laughs) very early on in my life, I recognize that, yeah, as much as I would like to think that we're not just constantly on this superficial level judging books by their covers, we all do it, you know? The idea is that uh, I'm trying to kind of exploit that side of human nature, where, yes, I I try to do things that are eye-catching and then do appeal to a more modern general population, but the idea is that uh, in the same way that if you follow me for a short amount of time, or if you start doing yoga for a short amount of time, you begin to realize that there's uh, something a little bit more subtle there. And yeah, that it's not just all about these handstands and stuff. There's something that's more, more substantial.
0: And the, the handstands and the, and the, the tricks of, of asana, right? They're fun and they're beautiful, uh, but they, they barely scratch the surface of, of, what, of what yoga has to offer us. Mm. But I think what you said there is really an interesting and insightful thing. And I think the, the teachers that are going to be successful going forward are, are going to, to realize this on a, on a massive level is that uh, we have to connect to that, that idea of external wants. And then it's our job to, to figure out ways to turn that external desire inward and and seek in the proper direction, but we're we're so caught up socially in looking externally that if we're just if we're just if we're on Instagram and all of our screens are black and then we have a fifty paragraph quote below, no one's ever gonna look at it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's very true. So yeah, we kind of have to use the tools that we have in order to get what we want and to get us what we need.
0: Yeah. And (laughs) yeah, provide what everyone wants and slip, slip in what everyone needs.
1: So this is for the most part, the way that I do teach is that anybody who comes to my programs, whether they be workshops or retreats or teacher trainings, uh, you, you come there with this preconceived idea. You see the things that I'm posting online and the videos that might be on YouTube, wherever. And then you show up, you meet me and I'm sitting on just, a. Uh, meditation cushion, uh, lotus position, and, and just uh, not doing anything very physical, yeah, just chanting there are things <laughs> that are not associated with typical physicality mm. <laughs> because yeah it 's not that i 'm tricking people here, yeah, but uh, the idea is that we all need to find a way to get someone 's foot in the door, yeah, uh, yeah and for me it 's all about what you said, finding a way to get people what they
0: need, yeah, not they want yeah and I think one of the interests i, I I, I, I start to um, I can start to get overwhelmed when I look at the the amount of challenge that I feel like it's facing is facing the world. And um, I, I look at the tool of yoga as a, a with the capacity to really help heal uh, and help redirect this massive amount of energy that's created every single day down a down a path that can that can be beneficial for our our home our planet uh, and the communities that we all live in but if we if we aren't able to use the use the tool at the at the level that's required now because the the more anxiety and stress that we put on our our lives the more the the tool has to be there for us so there's a the the amount of people that we can the more people that we can get involved in this practice the better the better our I believe our our chances our planet has to to be successful and I think everybody wants the planet to be successful I I don't think no matter what perspective you come from anybody's like man I really just wish we could harm this thing that we live on so how do we how do we well a do you think yoga is the tool that that do you think it's the tool that that can provide the the right path can yoga save our planet
1: yeah so i think that in many ways this is a far more simple issue far more simple than it seems i like it when you look at kind of what's going on in the world the things that might be wrong You start to sweat and fume, and it all seems so just not fixable, yeah, or very difficult to fix. But to be honest, if you begin to take a step back and focus not on what's wrong necessarily, but just how to improve yourself in some super small way every day, yeah, I guarantee you that these things will fade from existence there won't be issues there won't be conflicts and whether or not that way to find personal improvement is through yoga or qigong or any kind of form of practice yeah it doesn't necessarily matter where it comes from different things will appeal to different people i think that it is one of the more valuable modalities of finding personal improvement because it is holistic it's not just physical it's not just mental it encompasses all of these very important aspects of our existence. So, yeah, the idea—if we want to change something very radical—we need to just start with
0: our own selves. Yeah. How do you, how do you stay connected to the physical practice? Because um, I think one of the one of the things that is that is interesting about um, many of the of the leaders of the spiritual world is that they seem very removed from the physical practice. How do you balance both sides of of that coin?
1: Yeah. So essentially for me, uh, the way that I look right now and the way that I might be received by other people, I recognize that the teaching which will allow me to more easily enter the lives of other people is something physical. It is something more based around uh, handstands and these movement-based practices, even though I value more subtle non-physical teachings as being far more important. So for me, even though I would much rather like, move off into a forest and just you know help people, they can come, you sit with me, meditation, we'll do some chanting, all these things, uh, the way that people will see me, it means that I need to continually work on my body. I need to continually develop my physical practice in order to teach them these physical things as a kind of stepping stone for what lies beyond this is one reason probably a more applicable one to my life right now is my partner Shakti she's a very physical very active girl Uh, I'm sure you might have seen us doing some handstands together on Instagram or something like that so yeah she's essentially a very big uh, motivational factor in my life right now she's a, a Always wanting to do something movement based.
0: <laughs> I love it. Yeah. It's, yeah, those those sparks of energy however however they find us, they are uh, they're they're there to, to really push us. Yeah. What who who would you say are your biggest life influencers or mentors?
1: Yeah, so there's a few. Um, I pull inspiration from many different sources, many individuals. Uh, there's two that stand out. Um, the first would be my father. Now, my father is uh, also a Shivananda yoga teacher. He studied at the same place where I studied, and he was the one who introduced me to yoga. Uh, he actually introduced me to yoga during my injury, and it was, it was with a lot of his guidance, especially around the more subtle sides, meditation, pranayama, that I was able to find full recovery from my injuries, and uh, yeah, he guided me towards the ashram in the Bahamas, and all throughout my life, he's been a very, very influential figure, from yoga philosophy to business sense, many, many different facets of my life have been improved dramatically by him, and the second one would be a a being named Swami Vishnu Devananda. Swami Vishnu Devananda is uh, the founder of the Shivananda organization, uh, which I belong to, and his main focus was hatha yoga. So his main focus was on asanas and pranayama, primarily. Um, I see a lot of myself in him. He's also like a very kind of stubborn guy. He actually came from the army and he was very much needed factual things. So to become a Swami, when you say that you need factual things, Those are usually a little bit contradictory. (laughs) Actually, they're not, you know, because yoga is a science. It's not some uh, Mm -hmm. practice that just requires pure belief and trust in one's teacher. It does require those things, but also everything that they talk about in yoga philosophy, you can practice and implement and find that exact same understanding in your own life, in your own experience. So it's a science. It has replicatable results. And this is one thing for me is Swami Vishnu, he really inspired me to just surrender a little bit and actually go into these practices. Because you know you might not get anything for a long time, but eventually, if you are sincere, if you are dedicated in your yoga practice, then some fruits will eventually start to show face.
0: Hmm. I I've found, and um, maybe maybe it's just surrendering a little bit, but I've found that the that the release of the requirement of logical logical pathways and factual pathways is a is a really freeing place to be yeah uh the i I feel like every every piece of information that i know has created a wall around uh my possibilities of expansion and um going into each day with without attempting to go into each day uh, without holding on to any ideas of, of what I may expect or, or know is one of the ways that I think for me I've, I've been able to progress my, my life and my, my practice more than anything else when when you first started to let go of uh, that necessity for 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 logic and facts how did how did that affect your personal practice?
1: Yeah, so uh, to be honest, I never really let go of, of this, this need, yeah? It just started to develop in a kind of different way. Mm. Uh, for me personally, at some point, all that I focused on was my own personal practice. I never even wanted to become a yoga teacher. I had no desire to share or anything. All that I did was focus on myself. And eventually, uh, through that very, very pure, sincere focus on myself, things started to unfold in my life. So I started to randomly have people asking me if I could come to their city, their country, teaching something, sharing, even though I had never expressed a desire to do so. Mm. So the idea is that you find some intention. You know, for me, it is to find like, really fulfillment in my life. And the way that I get there is through helping others. So if you have some very, very pure focus, then uh, you can say you have the what in mind, then the how, how we're actually going to get there, the steps, they start to unfold a little bit more organically without so much logic needing to be thrown in there. As a lot of the time, this it definitely does complicate a situation, both logic in its way and emotions in their way. They will complicate the situation. They will cloud the way forward. But if you just focus really, really purely, really sincerely on some intention, you can say the purpose of your life. Uh, if you find and realize that purpose, you focus on that, and I guarantee that things will start to unfold in the way they should—not necessarily always an enjoyable way, but the way they should.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's so. That's the interesting. That is that is a really interesting clarification, right? It's the. What we think should happen might might not necessarily be what happens, but uh, things things do tend to unfold the way they should.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, the world works in very very mysterious ways, amazing cannot...
0: ways. True. What What do you personally think the ideal ratio of teaching and practicing is?
1: Yeah, they're in many ways the same thing. Um, teaching and practicing. So. <sighs> Yeah, I mean, I suppose in my situation, it's not going to be a typical one to answer that question. For me, um, whether or not I do my actual asana practice on a day-to-day basis, it's not so important. Um, The the morning practices, they are very important. They help to connect me to that kind of higher source. Mm -hmm. And essentially, the teaching, the personal practice, it's all designed to achieve the same thing, I suppose a slightly different way. But essentially, they reinforce each other, they work with each other. I can go just months without teaching, I can go months without practicing, but the same kind of improvement will start to come. Mm. If I was to speak about um, a more typical kind of population, yeah, then I would say that your personal practice needs to be near, let's say, 70% of the time. Because yeah? you need to continually become better and better in order to share effectively the things that you think you know at that point in time.
0: What, what is the atypical component of you? How, do you? how are you extracted from the typical population? Yeah, that's, of
1: course, a you know, dangerous question to get <laughs> into.
0: <laughs> um, but, yeah,
1: it's, for me, um, a matter of personal experience. Um, you think that if you want to be able to develop strength, you must go to the gym. You think that to get better uh, bench press... You need to work on your chest and your triceps. But it's true only in a certain context. And there are systems in place that we're not able to see, energetic systems, that actually govern the physical ones. And if you can learn how to manipulate the energetic systems, then the physical ones will follow accordingly. So for example, if you want to develop strength, it would help to do physical things. But you can also get there in a way that's not physical. So this is the main thing, is that my morning practice, it does certain thing. And although my physical practice, it's very strong, the things that you see me doing on Instagram, I almost never do them in my daily life. I certainly work on their components, shoulder strength and flexibility, to keep those rotator cuffs healthy. But yeah, I really don't do so many things that are strength-based or flexibility-based or physical in a very extreme kind of way in a way that one might expect but my focus is elsewhere
0: Hmm. Hmm. i'm I'm trying i'm trying to get to the elsewhere without being too um invasive so (laughs) so the 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 internal practice that you go through every morning. Mm-hmm. Um, can can you briefly can you briefly summarize the? How about can you briefly summarize just the the post practice f- you? How how do, how do we shift? How how does that how does that impact your day your your morning practice? How does it impact your day? In a very simplistic sense,
1: the things with which we fill our morning, they will carry the energy for the rest of the day. Mm. And so, for me, I fuel myself with a certain type of energy in the morning, and that carries me through the day. It carries me on to the next day, so on and so forth. And it's the same for everyone. Mm. Whether or not you wake up and you check your phone first thing, that energy, that mindset will carry you through. So, it's not so uh, complicated in this respect. What you decide to fill your morning with, your days are going to follow suit. That looks similar.
0: Yeah. How so how do we how do we connect to to uh, more standard population um, yeah. who ha they are they are drained from the the typical the typical life cycle right we we sit in traffic we make it to work we work for someone else all day we sit in traffic we make it home we want to go to bed how do we how do we create the capacity for that morning practice what what can we do as as teachers to create that capacity for the morning practice
1: Yeah, so the morning practice, um, it's a very, very good idea. This will apply to people that you might be referring to. It's a very good idea to find a short break from your life. Because essentially some change, it's difficult to take place if nothing else changes. You can't really implement some lasting change if that's the only thing that is changing. It's not going to work that way. So for me, again, I would not have changed if I didn't have some catalyst, if I didn't move to the Bahamas, for example, and take a year away from what I considered life, yeah. I would yeah. not be where I am. Yeah. So to be honest, the, the way that is actually the easiest, but most people will think of it as the most difficult, is to take a break from your life. Yeah. Go on some kind of silent retreat, go somewhere where you are uh, removed from that fluff of daily life. And then when you get back, you start to reintegrate into your your previous life, into society once more. You're far more equipped to handle those kinds of situations. They won't drain you quite so much anymore because you see them for what they are.
0: Yeah. The fluff, the fluff of life. Uh, Do you still, does everything you own still fit in a 60 liter backpack?
1: Yeah, even smaller.
0: All right. I was going to ask if you could go smaller. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Everything that I own fits in a carry-on bag. Cool. Cool. That, yes. Amazing. <laughs> okay. So.
1: Well, I, I have a few things at like, my father's house here in Canada. I have some things at my girlfriend's parents' house in uh, in Florida. But yeah, it was a, I have a sweater here for when it's cold. <laughs> We can simplify quite a lot, you know, if our constitution will allow for it. And it, it truly does make a, a lasting change in your life, your experience.
0: What is that word? What does simplicity mean to you?
1: Yeah, simplicity was the final message that I was mm-hmm. given from my teacher when I left the ashram. He said, uh, richness comes to those who are simple and humble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So much of what I've done after having... Taken the shivananda T it's been based around simplicity in the very early stages i realized that i started to teach just yoga classes at some point and you know you make like 25 30 dollars a class which is you know not enough to live on yeah Uh, it is however however enough to live on if you simplify Mm. to an extreme level and so i i did simplify and made that type of financial income work for me when i was first starting out and now that my, uh, my teaching practice has developed to, co- to a capacity I would not have imagined before, yet I've kept that simplicity, it's certainly a very, very powerful factor in my life and in my freedom.
0: Yeah? Yeah. I, the freedom concept, the two, the, both of those. So I think with, within the last week, right, we've had Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain decide to end their lives. Uh, two people w- who had all of the financial freedom in the world, right? Um, Kate Spade with two point eight billion dollar sale of her company. There's, there's the financial capacity to to, to change the situation was absolutely both of them. But if you if you are unwilling to change your situation, your your only exit is is the ultimate exit. So I. I think I think the message that I've received over the last week and I, I I think the message that everyone should should at least be willing to look at is if we're playing the game of I just need to get to this financial level and then once I get to this financial level I'm gonna be happy and set and all the pieces are gonna fall into place. We're playing a wrong game that we can't win, that we're we're gonna feel really terrible playing all the time.
1: Yeah. But If you simply see it as a tool, a tool for helping you find uh, happiness within reason, then you don't need so much money to find happiness. It's not the key. Money does not equal happiness. Happiness is something that's uh, not dependent in any way, shape or form on
0: money. Yeah. And it is dependent upon our our ability to to look inside ourselves. I think that is the the one thing that i I think I'd be willing to commit to is if you're not willing to to look inside yourself you're you're going to have a really tough time finding happiness
1: yeah, of course. happiness <laughs> is essentially the yogis would say it's our natural state our natural state our natural state if you uh, if you remove basically all of these layers of what you can say ignorance yeah that we surround ourselves with and continually add to if you remove all of them what you're left with is bliss Ananda, bliss this is our natural state it's our birthright essentially and the only way that we get there is if we start to take these very
0: systematic steps back yeah back towards our natural state all right yeah um couple couple last questions for you the one of the things that i think you're you're really known for is your authentic approach to yoga um what what does the word authenticity mean to you
1: yeah authenticity is simply uh, remaining true to you or true to something that you might have been taught you might have experienced and so authenticity it's uh, not necessarily a combination Authenticity is never uh, cross-breed. It's something that, that's who you are. And it's very easy for all of us to see who we are if we are listening. Yeah? Because who we are is something that will come out very naturally. Yeah? Who you are is when you are a child dancing and screaming and running about and doing all these things that children do. That is very authentic. That is who they are. But the moment that we start to recognize someone is watching me, someone is maybe judging me, something like this, then we start to crossbreed. We start to change our patterns, our behavior as a way of trying to please people around us or to not infuriate people around us. And so this is not authentic behavior. You know, say take steps back. It takes steps back to who we were when we were not so confronted, so censored. By
0: all these things, we fill our our modern lives with. how do you encourage people how do you encourage people to start to start that reset or to start that approach of, of stepping back
1: yeah, so very, very simple steps uh, for most people, everything will unfold in a very favorable way if you just start to listen. <laughs> I mean for myself, I just came back into Canada, and there 's uh, there's many things that I've had to do, many, many things that I've needed to take care of from passports to various other things, and I really haven't found time to just sit and listen. And so I can truly appreciate that for a busy modern population, it is difficult to find the time to sit and be still. But there's something to be said for uh, a few moments of what you might even call boredom in your day-to-day life. Just a simple, simple span of time in which you don't have to do anything. It mm. can literally be at any point in the day. But if you just have nothing to do, then just start to listen. You Start to listen at the patterns that are going through your mind, all these different thoughts. And you will start to notice patterns where your mind goes. But it's only going to happen if you are listening.
0: Yeah, and and so many people are uh, purposely blocking that that space out, I feel like, right? And podcasts are, are just as big of a problem in this realm as anything else. I feel like every moment of spare space that we have, we're currently trying to cram something into it, trying to fill it and push out. Yeah, yeah, you see, but
1: there's a progression. So there's many different types of things that we can fill our day with. Uh, smoking and drinking on one spectrum, something like yoga and meditation on another spectrum, and everything in between. So the idea is that in order to find this kind of space, this uh, way free from this modern life, it's in uh, gradual steps, yeah? So, yeah, something like a podcast, this is meant to be more of an uplifting, informational, educational-based experience, it's not just like some porn show or something like this that's true not going to do much for anyone you <laughs> see so the more that we can tailor our life toward what the yogis would say sattvic qualities which are mm. pure qualities very light qualities the more we'll be able to experience these moments of listening of observation
0: yeah yeah i the I I really I really love um that you that you shared that as as the tip though cuz I do feel like allowing for those moments of observation is a is a freeing a freeing practice that really allows people some 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 growth on an individual level that doesn't require anything at all. Sure. Um, so yeah, thank you. That's, that is a really beautiful, a beautiful place. Uh, so I'm going to give you my last question and that's how I end everything. Do you have something else?
1: Well, just to touch a little bit more on that, if you want a practical way of finding this uh, moment of observation, there are so many things that I used to do in my own personal life, uh, that helped me to get where I am now. And one of them was just anytime that you walk from indoors to outdoors, Pause for just the span of three breaths and find one thing that's beautiful. I guarantee you'll always be able to find something. But that's exactly what we're trying to do is become more present, pull ourselves more into the moment. So on a practical level, this is one way that you can create that space. And it takes no extra time whatsoever. Everybody yeah. walks some time inside the outside. It's
0: very easy to do. Yeah, I love that. Where did where did that come from for you? Yeah, so I have no idea.
1: Um there are so many practices that I used to do intuitively in my my childhood. Um, I have no idea where most of them come from, um, but later on I realized that they are like yogic practices, um, like stuff just concentration based, for example. Uh, but yeah, this one I, I can't recall the origin. Of okay,
0: it. I love yeah. it. <laughs> I, do you do you feel like? How old are you now? Yeah, I'm uh, twenty five now. 25 okay do you feel like you have uh previous life experiences that are guiding you
1: yeah of course we all do yeah.
0: <laughs> can you connect to them yeah okay
1: <laughs> i can expand on it uh just with you after the podcast but beautiful though, just share public, okay? <laughs>
0: that's fair i love it um okay last question then do you have any questions for me questions for you the answer uh, can be no
1: yeah Yeah, I suppose I'm quite content with the things that we've discussed here today, my friend.
0: Rad. I I appreciate it so much. Thank you, Rama. You have made my day.
1: Thank you, Patrick. Thank you, man. And find one thing that's beautiful. I guarantee you'll always be able to find something. But that's exactly what we're trying to do is become more present, pull ourselves more into the moment. So on a practical level, this is one way that you can create that space. And it takes no extra time whatsoever. Everybody walks some time inside the outside. It's very easy to do.
0: Yeah, I love that. Where did did that come from for you?
1: Yeah, so I have no idea. Um, There are so many practices that I... Used to do intuitively in my my childhood. Um, I have no idea where most of them come from, um, but later on I realized that they are like yogic practices, um, like stuff just concentration based, for example. Uh, but yeah, this one I, I can't recall the origin. Okay, of it. I love yeah. it.
0: <laughs> I, do you do you feel like? How old are you now? Yeah, I'm uh, twenty five now. 25, okay. Do you feel like you have uh, previous life experiences that are guiding you? Yeah, of course. We all do. (laughs) Can you connect to them? Yeah. Okay.
1: (laughs) I can expand on it uh, just with you after the podcast. Beautiful. That's
0: fair. I love it. Um, Okay, last question then. Do you have any questions for me? Questions for you. The answer Uh, can be no.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I suppose I'm quite content with the things that we've discussed here today, my friend.
0: Rad. I I appreciate it so much. Thank you, Rama. You have made my day.
1: Thank you, Patrick. Thank you,
0: man.